It separates us from the beasts, from the heathens. It separates us from every living life form. It's not our capacity to think, our capacity to reason, our capacity to appreciate stuff. It's empathy. That's next on this episode of the Gratitude Journal Podcast. This is the Gratitude Journal Podcast. Yep, we're already playing ball. I'm referring to baseball for those of you who are maybe not uh, inclined to listen to the greatest game on earth or watch the greatest game on earth. It's baseball time. And uh, that's a good thing, except if you're on the verge of renaming your team like we are. Hey, it's Matthew here. Deep inside the comfy confines of the basement lair where I am snuggled in, snuggled under with multiple hoodies and sometimes a little ceramic heater, which I probably shouldn't have in an enclosed space, but I do because, you know, the weather gods just can't decide what they want to do. I mean, last week we had temperatures near 70. Donna and I, well, oh, I was wearing shorts. Donna wasn't wearing shorts. But we were taking tarps off of the back deck and taking tarps off the front porch and lining things up and taking plants out. And really, in a matter of less than 48 hours, we were all taking the plants back in again because the forecast was calling for frost. And yesterday, it was a whiteout, opening day for our team in Detroit. And the first or second into the third inning, as I was wandering upstairs, every once in a while to catch a pitch or two between projects, you couldn't even see the field. I mean, that's that's how bad it was. And And really, April in our part of the world is just like that. And I think I referenced it before, that you never know what you're going to get when you get into April, because it's just a very, very wacky time weather-wise. But today, the sun is out. And we are recording this on Good Friday, April the 2nd. And really, the forecast for Easter Sunday, at least here in our neck of the woods, calls for temperatures near 70. So hopefully, hopefully, fingers crossed, I can put at least one of these hoodies away. Although it's always cold in a basement. I don't know if you do work in a basement or you have a basement because when we were living in Tennessee in certain parts of the St. Louis area where people just don't have basements, I just wonder if you put up with the same thing, which is basically this almost overwhelming sense of coldness happening a good portion of the year. I mean, outside it can be 85 degrees, but sometimes in the basement it just feels a little cold on the tootsies. And I have to put that little ceramic heater on to kind of get me over the hump. But uh, baseball, baseball is here and uh, we're loving that. I've been jostling back and forth between books lately. This is not something that I normally do. One of my favorite authors who I oftentimes watch actually on YouTube on Sunday mornings is sort of a part of my Sunday morning ritual is Brad Warner, who is actually an Akron, Ohio native and is also a Zen Buddhist priest. And he often talks about the fact that he 
jostles between books on a fairly regular basis. This is something that I never usually do and really have not done because I've found it really too hard to concentrate on multiple things, but I find myself doing it lately. And one of the quotes that I've come across in one of the books that I've been reading is a quote from Plato. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. And that quote resonated with me mainly because we're approaching a holiday weekend, a get-together weekend. Now, we may not be getting together with family like we normally would on Easter, but it oftentimes reminds me of how grateful I have been for the times that I've been able to spend with my family throughout the years. And while some of those get-togethers haven't always been 100% perfect, as is the case with most families, I do think about that generally at the time of holidays. I usually have felt it in the past over Christmas. I remember as a kid riding around with my parents to and fro during the holiday season, and it would be near the holidays. And of course, I would be very excited as a child because we had great Christmases when I was a child growing up. And even though my father was really just a school teacher and my mother was a homemaker who took care of everything domestically and they did not have a lot of money. We grew up, I don't want to say we grew up poor, but we grew up not having a lot of things that other people had. We had the things we needed. And I don't know how they ever did it, but my parents always gave us extraordinary Christmases. And I remember riding around with my father to various things, whether it was the store or it was over to a basketball game. He was a ticket taker for the high school where he taught, and he would take us over to basketball games and football games. But during the holidays, of course, the Christmas holidays, it would be basketball, and we would get in and watch the games for free. And while we would stop at stores on the way there or on the way home, I would see people who were hovering around the store, sitting outside of the store. I could tell they were poor, like there was something not right about them. And I would think to myself, you know, in a couple of days, Santa's probably going to bring me all of these presents. And that person doesn't look like they're going to get a lot of presents. Like, what was the Christmas situation like for that person? And these thoughts would float through my mind and, and then they would go away because I didn't really know how to feel empathetic towards anybody. Uh, it ran through my mind. I thought about it briefly, but really all I concluded was that I was going to have probably yet another amazing Christmas. Here are the four or five things I wanted. Gosh, I hope I get all of those things. And I sort of went on my merry way. But back in the early 90s, I had secured a position at a radio station in Washington, D.C., and while I was in Washington, D.C., it happened to be around the holidays. And this was the first time that I had taken a job outside of my home area. I'd never been outside of Northeastern Ohio working for anybody or living. And it just so happened that it coincided with the holidays. And so normally, 
I would have some vacation time at this job and we would jump in the car and we would head back for the holidays because I had never been away from my family during the holidays. But at that particular time, I was scheduled to work because, as most people in broadcasting know, radio stations are 24-7, or they were (laughs) 24-7, prior to the huge amount of automation that's available to us now and the huge amount of remote broadcasting that can be done. But back in the day, quote-unquote, these radio stations operated 24-7, and they need to be staffed, and the holidays still required some people behind the microphone doing shows and playing music, and I was tasked with that. Therefore, I could not go back home for Christmas, and I remember standing in the studio, segueing between songs. There was nobody in the building. I would look out onto Rockville Pike in Rockville, Maryland, normally an extremely busy street, and as we got closer on Christmas Eve that night, traffic was becoming minimal. People had already assembled at their families' homes or at their relatives' homes for holiday get-togethers, and it was extremely lonely. Like the lights were twinkling in the apartment building across the street. I could see bodies moving about. Lights were flashing off and on. People looked like they were hugging in the windows. And there I was standing behind this microphone playing some Eagle song, waiting for it to end so I could segue into another song because somebody had to man the board. And this feeling of absolute loneliness dissolved in me and almost like overtook my body. And I wanted to talk to Donna, but I really couldn't talk to Donna. And I couldn't really talk while I was on the air. And I just remember feeling extremely lonely. All of a sudden, I felt a little bit about what that person who was hovering outside of the convenience store must have felt when he watched all these people wandering in the store picking up stuff to celebrate the holidays. And I thought, maybe he didn't have anybody to celebrate the holidays with. He didn't have a family with which to celebrate. And on that Christmas Eve night, as the flurries were falling and as the Christmas lights were twinkling next door in the buildings and the traffic was to a minimum, and I knew that I would not be celebrating Christmas Eve with my family, I understood a little bit about what I should have felt that night at the convenience store. I see these posts on Facebook where people say, what are the three, four, five different movies that, regardless as to how many times you've seen them, if one of them comes on, this movie is going to be watched. I have to watch this movie. I don't care where I come across it. As I'm scrolling up and down the TV guide, I'm going to put that movie on. And there are four or five movies that almost always mean that I'm going to watch them wherever they are. And one of those movies is a movie from the mid-2000s, and it starred Will Smith, and it's called The Pursuit of Happiness, H-A-P-P-Y-N-E-S-S, The Pursuit of Happiness. And I believe it's a true story. And he he plays a character named Chris Gardner, and Chris Gardner has a son, and Chris Gardner is basically homeless, and he has been really 
He's lost his place to live. He's been divorced from his wife. And for whatever reason, he gets motivated to become a stockbroker. So he enters an apprentice program. And it's the story of his story, how he overcame finding wherever he could rest his head with his son, whether it was a shelter, whether it was a bathroom at a BART station, wherever it was, as long as he could show up the next day at his internship and go through the internship. And if you haven't seen The Pursuit of Happiness, I won't say anything more so that I don't ruin it for you. But while watching this movie, I've thought of this so many times. What would I do if I were in that situation? And I couldn't imagine being in that situation. And I would say to myself, well, I would find a way to get over this hump. Somebody would come to my rescue. Uh, Surely someone would hear about what was going on with me and they would come to my rescue. So didn't he have any friends in that area? Didn't he have any other family in that area? I mean, why wouldn't somebody just offer him a chance to sleep in their basement while he he got his, you know, collective whatever together so that at least he could get through this internship and his son had a place to stay and a place to be safe while he went to school? Couldn't that possibly happen? And I realized that that can't happen for a lot of people. I have a friend who will go nameless because I think he listens to this podcast and I don't want to embarrass him, but it would not be my intent to embarrass him. It would be my intent to tell him that he is my Chris Gardner. And this friend of mine was going through a particularly bad time. And like Chris Gardner, a number of things were happening to contribute to his supposed demise. First this happened, then that happened, then this happened. Almost like these obstacles are going to be too many to climb over. And in this friend's case, it ran the gamut. His wife decided to file for divorce. His wife filed a report against him with the police, something very, very minute and very, very tiny, but it got snowballed into something much bigger, which eventually landed this person in jail. Then he had some problems medically where he had to come up with almost $10,000 to fix this problem because his insurance ran out because he had lost his job. And like these kinds of things kept happening. In my attempt to feel empathy, I would invite him over to our house and he would stay for a couple of days. And then he would get in his car that was on the verge of breaking down and he would drive away back to his scenario, his situation, sometimes living in other friends' basements, sometimes staying in his car. And my thinking was I was being this empathetic person. I was being a sympathetic person. And yet I really wasn't understanding where he was in his scenario. And finally, one time, going back home and getting together with him, and he finally opened up about the fact that his situation didn't require a band-aid. 
his situation didn't require a temporary fix, like a vacation from what he was going through. It wasn't enough. Because the nights that he was laying in his car, sleeping in his car, thinking about killing himself, my two-night band-aid of offering him dinner and sitting in a comfy chair in my living room watching television wasn't really what he needed. What he needed was somebody to talk to. What he needed was actionable things that he could do to try to pull himself out of his situation before he decided to leave this existence. And I didn't see that. I wasn't aware of that. And maybe I was aware of it, but I didn't acknowledge it because I was so consumed by all of the things that I was going through. And so my capacity to empathize with his situation, even though I was trying to, in the words of Plato, to be kind, knowing that he was fighting a battle, it wasn't enough. It was a miracle, really to watch him do his Chris Gardner act and overcome this over a long period of time. And to this day, when we get together and we talk about whatever it is we talk about in our own personal worlds, he'll say to me, you know, um, you're so good in your dealing with Donna and her situation and, you know, I'm really proud of you. And I say to him, the table should be turned towards you and not to me. Because I always resent the fact that I, that I didn't have enough wisdom to recognize how truly empathic I should have been to help lift you out of your situation. And it's a miracle that something worse didn't happen during that time period. And for that, I'm very grateful. The other day, I had a particularly busy day, and I had a number of things that I had to do in between the work that I was doing which was really kind of odd because the day before I didn't have shit to do. And I mean, I just had a kind of a, you know, waiting on people to return things. I couldn't get this done, waiting on this to come back. That, that didn't happen. I couldn't finish that little project. And it was like, okay, well, you know what? All I have this little sub list of things that I try to work on when I have downtime. And I was spending a lot more time on the sub list than I probably should have been, but that's what I kind of had to do during that time. And it was weird because the next day I had 7 million things to do. So during my day of doing 7 million things, I had to run up to one of the Dollar General stores to get something. And I was really in a hurry. And traffic was sort of bad. And I was in a rush. And I only had like 20 minutes. And so I got out of the car and I was sort of putting on my mask and sort of sprinting up to the front door. And in front of me, obviously, was this person who had a disability. He was walking very slowly, very gingerly, almost as if his left leg were an artificial limb. And he was ahead of me just enough that I would have felt 
even in my haste, rude to sort of scoot around him and go in the door and then try to sort of open, you know, keep the door open for him to preserve some sense of decency and then almost kind of race through the store to get what I needed. And then so I could get home to make this other meeting that I had to go to. So I decided to sort of chill and calm down and he sort of shuffled to the door and he was actually having trouble opening the door. So I said, Hey, let me get this for you. But I didn't say it like that. I really, I'm kind of embarrassed because I was in a hurry and I kind of went, Hey, I'll get that door for you. And then I sort of reached around him and opened the door so he could get in. And he sort of shuffled me in front of me and shuffled around me. And I said, there you go. And he said, well, thank you very much. And, and I made sure that he was in. And then I kind of ran through the store. I was in kind of that mood. I'm sort of embarrassed to admit it. Anyway, I got my things and I finally ran up. I didn't even bother getting like one of the little baskets. I just sort of had them in my arms. and. I sort of raced around the stacks of things they had to get in line and to get up to the, to the register. And they had one person running a register. And in front of me was this particular gentleman. And he was talking. And he was in the mood to talk. And he was talking about his favorite Mexican place to eat. And the person behind the counter also was a big fan of Mexican food. And they were having this dialogue. And I'm not the kind of person to say, excuse me, um, I'm kind of in a rush. I know of those people who are. I'm also not the kind of person who really sends food back to the kitchen, unless it's really atrocious or unless it, you know, has some insect wandering across it. I'm just not that kind of a person to do that. I will get my revenge, though, on Yelp, but (laughs) but I won't send it back to the kitchen. But I was just in that mood where, come on, let's go, let's hurry up, come on. Finally, he said, well, I've got to get ready to go to my dialysis. And -and so-and-so is picking me up. And then the door opened, and the person who was picking him up, I guess, knew to meet him at the Dollar General, because there they started talking. So he introduced his ride to the girl behind the counter. So now it's a three-way conversation, and now I'm even more late. And something just, I can't really describe it. It just latched onto me to just kind of chill. Because when I heard the word dialysis, I thought, oh no. I mean, is there anything worse? Is there anything worse than having to go through that? I don't even want to know all of the details involving it because it just sounds so horrendous. And imagine this person who I would assume has a number of medical maladies, including having renal difficulties. That is a battle that I have no interest in fighting. I hope I never have to fight that battle. And so as they were finishing up their conversation, and I was looking at my little Fitbit that I wear, my little Garmin unit on my wrist that I use sometimes as a wristwatch, and I realized that I was going to be late, I just decided to take a breath. And just let this one go. And I hope, I hope 
that Plato's words were at least somewhat lived out in that moment, because I have no idea what that person with the artificial limb is fighting. I have no idea what that person is up against. And so I was grateful for that quote. Not usually grateful for quotes, per se. I sometimes find the meme quote, um, if I'm being honest, I find them a little cheesy and not really relevant. But had someone posted that, on a social media site, it would have had great relevance for me. And the possibilities are distinct that I might even have shared it. So empathy can be tough. It's been tough for me really throughout my life. And the act of trying to envision myself in someone else's shoes or to try to have a more full understanding of where they are in their life has been challenging. And I'm the one who is the obstacle. I'm the one who stands in the way. And I need to be better at this. I know it's not true and that it can't happen, but it would be nice when we journey 83 miles one way next Thursday to get COVID shot number two, that somewhere in that shot, it could increase my, <laughs> my levels of empathy. I'm almost, of course, positive that's not going to happen, but it's a nice thought anyway. And shot number two is Less than a week away. So then the two-week waiting period, and so that's good. I can be chalked up as a statistic. And, of course, I'm hoping that you get your shot. I know it doesn't matter whether it sounds political. I don't care. I think everybody should get a shot, regardless of who they voted for. They should be getting the vaccine so that we can start to get into this herd immunity that everybody loves to talk about so much and we can move on with our lives and hopefully put the masks behind glass and wave them bye-bye wouldn't that be nice so here's hoping that you are safe and here's hoping that you are staying warm if you're in one of those finicky areas of the US where I am and if you're like one of my downloaders, <laughs> listeners, who is in Australia, you're just coming off your summer, mate, you lucky Aussie you, and you don't have to worry about this kind of stuff, at least not today. So regardless of where you're at meteorologically, I thank you as always for downloading and listening to another episode of the Gratitude Journal podcast.